Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode five of The Feminist Babysitter. I am one of your hosts, Sean Ferrick, and joining me, as always, is the wonderful Dr. Carol Quigley. How are you this week, Carol? I'm very good. I'm excited. We have an intro. We do have an intro. We do. (laughs) This week, we will be discussing the topic of victim blaming, what it is, how we all, in our own ways, perpetrate it, and what makes it different from other microaggressions that we can visit on people but before we get into that how has your week been carol good i mean we're we're recording this on a monday so so far so good that's true nothing's gone wrong yet i i choose to look at this from an optimistic point of view it's like Mm -hmm. it's you know we're on we're on monday it's grand it's all up from here we've done monday morning monday morning is the hardest morning yeah um i've been in the sea it's all good that it like you're, you're bonkers in, in my humble opinion. This, I haven't, genuinely, I haven't been seeing something now in a couple of years. Oh, it's just for those fortunate enough, you know, to be able to get to the sea handily enough, it's just, just clears the head. I pref- much prefer doing it in the morning, sets you up for the day, um, wakes you up, if nothing else. Of course, I mean, yeah. At this point, the Irish Sea is what, about seven degrees, eight degrees, I think, at the moment. Um, I try not to depress myself by checking the temperature too much at this time of year. But yeah, it's it's wonderful. But but it's also it's about the chat. It's about the crack. It's about, you know, it's all those kind of things. Yes. Eight degrees. Exactly. The water is at the moment. Eight degrees. Um, That makes it about five degrees warmer than my apartment was over the weekend, uh, because I am not a smart man. Uh, Mm -hmm. I. Uh, I was trying to be savvy, you know, I'll throw on a jumper. I don't, I won't put the yeah. heating on. I'll be around, I'll be around. And, but then I cracked after like a minute, threw on the heating in my office. My office is very insulated with the, yeah, yeah. Uh, with sound, the sound pads and everything. And I opened the door and it was like walking through a fridge. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, checking everything. Yeah. And on site, everything was closed. Yeah. Then I just came down to the bedroom and I saw that three days previously, I had put it not, I had not sealed the window. I put it on like, you know, the first, either way, there's kind of a one and a two and then it's open. Mm-hmm. I put it on the two and I was kind of like, I've been Baltic because I'm an idiot. Well, you see, my windows are open all the time and I don't really use the heating. Sea swimming changes your life. No, well, yeah, you lose all feeling, apparently. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> We're th- This is what, middle of February. I think over this winter, we've had the heating on twice three times maybe and the bedroom window is never closed ever oh my yeah oh my um like don't <laughs> no 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 i uh, it improves uh, your circulation sea swimming see there you go saves on your gas bill that is the top tip from the feminist babysitter today go sea swimming and you'll save money on your gas bill thank you very much everyone for joining us this week you can of course <laughs> catch us on um no what while that is incredibly useful information mm-hmm. that i it is. might do something about it's not just uh, feminism that i know things about i know and and that is one of the many many wonderful things that uh, uh, uh that i know about you is that you are not one thing none of us are one thing mm-hmm. we are a combination um, i sense a segue uh I, I i'm not sure how ham-fisted it's going to be but so let's talk about victim blaming mm-hmm And my segue being that it is so simple for the immediate reaction in any case, Mm -hmm. in any situation, Mm -hmm. is what did they do to bring it on themselves? Yes. And 
that is that can be a singular one thought that is put on so many crimes and this is right across the this can go from something as small as say a scam i say i say that like a small thing but just in the context of mm-hmm. this something like a scam to a mugging to rape to murder what mm-hmm. did they do mm-hmm. to open the door to this happening yeah. um and obviously there's so many things wrong with that but that is ingrained yes. ingrained in people's minds of mm-hmm. you know all right i want you to ask yourself the question what can you do every day to not get murdered by a total stranger mm-hmm. and yeah what i mean like what yeah i i think okay i have thoughts <laughs> good otherwise this would be a very short episode okay firstly picking up on what you just said there about attributing blame and obviously we're going to define victim blaming and all of that but attributing blame we live our lives and i touched on this last week um we live in a civilized society and must engage in some level of personal responsibility for different things like i gave the example last week when i'm paid my wages every month it is my responsibility to make sure i pay my bills i you know Mm. pay my taxes whatever okay and there are consequences if i choose not to do that um it is my responsibility to not you know throw my phone in the sea when I go for a swim because I will have to pay for a new phone and you know all of those kind of things right yes so there is a certain level of personal responsibility in life I'm not going to run out in front of traffic for no reason um I'm not going to well a bit topical I'm not going to endanger an animal um nameless footballer you know, I'm, I'm not going to engage in these kind of behaviours. You're looking puzzled. Oh, yeah, yeah, dog, dog Google it. Man kicks Does cat. this involve a cat? Yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. some, I saw a reference yeah. to this. Okay, yeah. Um, so I have personal responsibility. Um, now, what happens with victim blaming is that people take what our morals or our beliefs about personal responsibility and attribute them to things that actually we have no control over okay so for example take the the running into traffic example if i run out onto the middle of a main road and i'm hit by a car and i wasn't paying attention and i just ran out into the middle of the road you can say okay well you had personal responsibility to not run out into the middle of the road but if a car curbs you know comes up on the curb and knocks me down I was doing nothing to endanger myself in any way. So therefore, it is in no way my fault. You there is no level of personal responsibility there. I was walking along a side, you know, a path. I was about to say sidewalk. Oh, very American. Um, I was walking along a path and somebody else did something wrong. Okay. So so we need to work out where the line between our own responsibility that we do have and things that are in no way our fault. So Um, You know, if, as we saw a number of weeks ago, um, with the the tragic, horrendous murder of Ashley Murphy, she was going for a run. She was engaging, you know, in a normal, everyday behavior. Um, There was people around. It was daylight. All of these kind of things. In no way is there anything 
is she was she at fault in any way for there's no level of personal responsibility that she should have had there that she did not have okay so what happens when we go into victim blaming narratives is that when we attribute blame where your personal responsibility actually wasn't at fault so that's the first thing i want to say about it the second thing i want to talk about is the word victim okay because um i don't like it i have written extensively and, and researched extensively on the concept of now without boring everybody with with a lecture here but the concept of the poor performativity of speech okay so anybody who wants to read up on speech act theory um firstly look up jl austin's how to do things with words i think that's from the 1960s and then look up um judith butler's excitable speech and that'll give you um speech act theory right which i'm not going to detail here but the very 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 basic level with performative speech, essentially what you're talking about is that um, words, using words can change things, can mean things, okay? So for example, if um, you identify as queer, right? If I continually use homophobic slurs against you, you can internalize them to the point where you actually think, oh, I am these things, or I am lesser, or I am weird or whatever horrendous things I've been saying right so with performative speech what you have is a case where using these language using particular language can actually change things I mean there's much more clear-cut examples so for example if um you know if two people are in front of somebody who has the legal authority to marry them and they say you know do you take this person to be your husband wife whatever I do I do something has actually changed in their life they have become married their legal status has changed all of those things so we can see it as a clear-cut example there but we also see it in terms of for example homophobic abuse racial abuse that kind of bullying even you know if you're constantly told in school you're a loser or whatever you you know you'll start to internalize this so because of the power of performative speech i hate using the word victim because victim is a noun Victim is passive. Victim is something that has something done to it. So people would say, oh, yeah, that's why the push is towards the word survivor instead, particularly when we're talking about people affected by sexual violence. Um, no survivor. It's a verb. It's active. It kind of um, it implies moving on. It implies change. You know, it implies empowerment within yourself. I also have a problem with the word survivor. And the reason I have a problem with both words is because both of those words are so steeped in cultural meaning, in performative speech in terms of, you know, being a victim is inherently being weak or, be, you know, having your agency taken from you, whereas survivor, it's much more about, you know, strength and all of this. And my problem is that you can never, ever, ever tell someone what they are. You know, I have a lot of experience talking to a huge number of people who've experienced sexual violence in, in all kinds of ways. And a massively important point is the ability to self-define. So somebody may feel like calling themselves a victim one day, and then the next day they may feel like a survivor. They may feel like a victim again, you know, and they, they will go through their own journey of, of grief and trauma in that sense. So I very, very, very deliberately say someone affected by sexual violence because that is a statement of fact. 
Mm. Do you know what I mean? You, you were just something, somebody experienced something. This happened to you. Um, and I know that in and of itself is, is obviously not perfect because actually language is not perfect because of cultural history and all of the rest of it. But for me, that is what I have found to be the most objective way of saying it. So I hate to use the word um, victim or survivor. Um, and then linking this back to then when we have this concept of victim blaming, what you're doing there is you're making, aside from the actual act of, of the blaming in and of itself, even to use that term, you're making assumptions, you're making judgments um, on who the person is, what you know, what they've experienced, all of this is actually it actually doesn't make sense as a phrase because you're saying victim and a victim is inherently somebody that has something done to them, Mm. but then blaming. So it's their fault that they had something done to them. So the the phrase doesn't make any sense. Um, So just on a linguistic level, um, we can automatically see how problematic this phrasing is, let alone the actual act of doing it. Um, so there, yeah, there were just two things that, that I just wanted to start by saying. So the, the, the personal responsibility element, that we've warped that. And then the, the very fact that this term to describe acts of victim blaming, the term in and of itself is deeply problematic. Um, don't really know where I wanted to segue on from that, but that's well, just my opening. I, well, no, I, I love it because it's... It's, it's just that feeling of, I think it's easier in some, some people's minds to go, well, this makes a potentially senseless act have a, a catalyst, have a reason that it makes it a bit like, no, there aren't just simply, you know, bad people doing bad things. It's something was done to provoke. And that then can snowball into, you know... Um, I, this might seem like a slight kind of reach, but the is it Brock Tanner? Brock Turner. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he committed an act of sexual assault against someone, and I never knew I was ever going to hear about his swimming records. Yeah. And, he, you know, oh, well, and this is, oh, it's a bad thing, but he was provoked to do this, and, you know, he's actually a good kid. It's easier that you can have a reason for something to happen other than mm-hmm. somebody chose to commit an act of sexual violence or whatever the crime is, but obviously in this case, sexual violence, yeah. and then decided to go through with it because obviously mm-hmm. there is so many decisions going to anything we do. So you can decide to do something, then you can decide to carry out, mm-hmm. which obviously um, happened in that case there. So, you know, God, she must have really done something to get him riled up, mm-hmm. is a phrase I've heard. Um, and it's okay, she had upset him. Mm. It's like, or he obviously, this is not exclusive to um, binary relationships or encounters, mm-hmm. but it's it's a way of absolving. Yeah. And and I, th- I think some genuinely, genuinely good people they they slip into this because again it's easier, mm. um, and and because it's hard to comprehend what goes into the decision to commit rape, murder, 
Um, because call me naive, I would like to think that a lot of people don't know what that feeling, that decision feels like, mm. you know, and never will. Mm. So it could, that can be terrifying. And yeah. And I think, um, uh, one of the reasons why, um, and if, if we talk about male violence against women here, one of the reasons why women choose to victim blame other women. Um, and I've, I've written extensively about the concept of toxic femininity and I kind of put it in, in opposition to toxic masculinity. And actually maybe we should talk about that on some episode um, because a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about toxic femininity. But one of the reasons why women choose to victim blame other women it, I say it's understandable. I mean, it's not okay, but it's understandable because actually there's an element of self-preservation. So in the same way that women don't want to be guilty of being called slut by association. And actually, I know we mentioned before we started recording that people often hear the phrase slut shaming alongside victim blaming. And they're very, they're, sim, they're, they're, they're connected ideas and quite often they can go hand in hand, but they are separate and they're separate again from rape myths, you know? So I think we need to kind of separate all three out and look, and look at them individually. Um, but yeah, so women don't want to, just as they don't want to be seen as slut um, by association, they also, if you think, oh, well, actually, this woman who was randomly assaulted did something to lead to that. Mm. It makes you feel safer because you go, I would not do something to lead to that. Yeah, it won't happen to but me. You do, I, yeah. yeah. You do have an element of that. Um, and yeah, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to read uh, just to kind of um, define and stuff like that here. I'm just going to read a little a section from um, it's only like a paragraph from my PhD on this, um, just right. so we're kind of quite clear on it. So I write, it's weird saying, quoting myself, um, victim blaming is a phenomenon unique to sexual violence and involves using common rape myths and misconceptions to blame the woman attacked, because obviously I'm, I'm specifically talking about male on, on female violence here, as Andrea Dworkin, and Andrea Dworkin is a second wave feminist, um, she, her name would often come up um, with, um, with Catherine McKinnon a lot. They would be known as kind of the original radical feminists. Um, they would also be known as anti-sex feminists, which is quite a harsh way of describing them. And I, that's quite a problematic phrase, but yes, Andrea Dworkin is amazing. She's, she was the first woman, um, she was the first theorist to kind of really, um, define contemporary rape culture as, as we know it today. So she's, um, She's well worth reading. I, I love Dworkin. So as Dworkin argues, quote, no one says when a man hurts another man that the second man enjoyed it. But with women, whenever we're hurt, there's an explanation already in place. We wanted it. End quote. This is the foundation of victim blaming. Those who have experienced sexual this is the foundation of victim blame for those who've experienced sexual violence. Questions such as, and I took all of these from um like quotes from newspaper articles and everything. Um, questions such as what was she wearing? Was she drinking? Are asked and used to discredit the story of the person assaulted. They can be seen in the media with headlines such as more rapes linked to young women on drinking binges and rape conviction rate will not go up until women stop binge drinking, says judge. 
They become particularly distasteful and damaging throughout the common threads attached to online news articles reporting sexual violence cases. They can even go so far as to have the American Senate candidate Todd Akin claim in 2012 that, quote, if it's legitimate rape, the female ways, the female body has ways of shutting that whole thing down to prevent pregnancy. Victim blaming leads to a situation where the focus of debate around instances of sexual violence is on the woman who was assaulted and not on the perpetrator. When discussing victim blaming and everyday sexism, Laura Bates, my OG, still love her. Everyday Sexism was her first book, I think, based on her um, online project, The Everyday Sexism Project, which is amazing. But yes, Laura Bates for the win. Quote, it is, it is in this focus on young women's behavior while utterly failing to analyze the actions and impact of the society around them that we encounter the greatest silencing method of all, the blaming of victims. She goes on to further discuss the results of a culture that victim blames as the focus is taken away from the heinous crimes of the perpetrator, and so they become ultimately protected from public shaming. Quote, as long as we as a society continue to belittle and dismiss women's accounts, disbelieve and question their stories and blame them for their own assaults, we will continue to provide perpetrators with this powerful and effective threat. End quote. This is continued rape culture in action, right? So that's kind of how I define and 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 look at what victim blaming is and and kind of how it how it matters how how it impacts on our daily lives and yeah that Todd Aiken quote from 2012 yeah I, uh, it, it was as it was ducks he was talking about it was which it was ducks he was talking about ducks okay. have a way yeah 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 it's, of um yeah okay so yeah, he was comparing the human the female body to ducks yeah oh my god mm. Because obviously, like that's it's it's an infamously bad quote. Yeah. Um, at just ten. And you years. may think I've taken that line out of context from him. Like, read the whole. Like, <laughs> there was no good context for that. He he genuinely thought that because a doctor or somebody had told him that that happens to ducks, that that female humans could do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, it's. An, yet another example of toxic ignorance i don't know the facts but i'm going to dig my heels in here mm. um and if it was um isolated if it was the only time something like that had ever happened um now, obviously so when we blame now obviously we're, I'm, I'm using the word victim in the uh in the context yeah, yeah, of no, this that's podcast fine. that's fine yeah 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 um, because i i know what you I, I certainly know what you mean just to pick up on that for a second about the passive description of because you can say they are a victim mm-hmm. is maybe not judgmental they are just a victim actually mm-hmm. can be very judgmental even if it's meant in a oh they were just a victim it's like mm. yeah like yeah they're, they're actually more than that Um, Well, no, I mean, I would go so far as to say that saying they are a victim because of the roots, the linguistic, historical, social, cultural roots of language, that even if it is not intended as so, that is an inherently, it's an act of what I would kind of define as double disempowerment, whereby you've been disempowered by the initial act itself, and then you're being doubly disempowered by having this language attributed to you. So Mm -hmm. I would go so far as to say that. But I'm aware that 
I can't change the world overnight. Um, but it's just my reasoning for, for it. But there's no problem in terms of using victim in or firstly we're not talking about anybody specific here and that's my big problem when you call somebody else a victim yeah. um they need to be able to self-identify but also we're doing it in the context of this well-known phrase that we're defining so it's fine absolutely feminist um, babysitter has said that's okay uh, and, and like i one day i'll get a parking ticket or something like yes but you see the feminist babysitter <laughs> said that i could drive at whatever speed i wanted to so exactly i'm afraid she does overpower the criminal Everything. justice system in ireland Mm-hmm. Um, I I have to say I'm I shouldn't be as surprised as I am at the quote from the judge you just said there mm-hmm. that rape convictions won't go up until binge drinking goes down. I mean that is, hey girls, just stop drinking and mm-hmm. carry a taser and wear a chastity belt and always don't travel in group. In fact, just yeah, just just don't leave. Don't leave the bed. No. Just lie down and well, have babies. But you're actually not even safe there either because we know the vast majority. Now, this comes under rape myths, whereby we have this myth of, of, of stranger rape, which obviously happens, but not at the same level. Um, but yeah, the, the vast, vast, vast majority of, of cases of sexual violence against women are by a partner or ex-partner or somebody known to to the, the person assaulted. So, yeah. That actually, uh, there was there's an article I wanted to bring up there, which discusses exactly that. It's by Dr. Caroline West, and she discusses hindsight bias mm. and how the what was she wearing, what was she doing, completely ignores the fact that most rape is committed by someone who knew knows the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this can be terrifying because as terrifying as this nameless, shapeless, formless rapist who runs around committing completely random attacks um which is not to say of course that random attacks don't happen but mm. it could be so much more terrifying I would argue when that they're not technically random though they're in the context of of a wider societal issue the fact that you you think that as you said there you there's so many decisions that go into actually assaulting somebody anybody um, that they're not random because there is a part of you that is aware of the culture that you live in and think that that's an okay thing to do. Yeah. So it's not random, but yeah. Um, and actually, George, just picking up on exactly that for a moment, it's it's a it's a massive conundrum when it comes to crimes of passion. Mm. Um, and I'm not specifically talking about rape here because crimes of passion covers a whole myriad of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if in the moment a partner strikes another partner and they can say it's i'm so sorry i lost myself i lost my temper i'm so sorry everyone knows it's not okay Mm. everyone knows that yeah and there is that moment where you draw the hand back but no i'm I'm sorry i'm slightly digressing it's it's related but it's more adjacent there um this uh, that, that that same article it links to a a phrase I thought was fascinating and it's the illusion of you know foresight or mm. foreseeability I think I'm not sure it's actually foresight exactly um what's the foreseeability mm-hmm. that you can but it means that you can tell the future I know I will walk down this alleyway and at exactly 20 meters down um the way that I stand combined with what I am wearing will encourage x person to do y mm-hmm. If I can avoid that, I will I will be fine this evening. And that is nonsense. That is absolutely nonsense. Like you can't tell the future. You can't tell how any one person is going to act in any situation. You can have a good idea, 
But, you but can then never you tell. literally wouldn't leave your house. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, look, I know every just because we were talking about it earlier, I know every time I get in the sea, people drown. There are risks associated with getting in the sea, you need to be careful, all the rest of it. But if I said, Oh, well, this could be the day that something happens, then I'd never get in. So what I do do is I well, I I always swim with my dad. Um, we wear, you know, bright colored hats. We have the floats that could be seen. Somebody knows when we're in the water. Um, we stay, we swim along a wall that you can like be seen the whole time. You know, we, we, we won't get it if we go down and we're not happy that it's too wavy or whatever, we won't get in. Like we, we do all of those things to try and we take personal responsibility, you know, to try and make sure that, that we stay safe. But there is still a risk every time you get into water. So what are you going to do? Never swim? No, that's ridiculous. No, you cannot live your life in such a way that, you know, every time you step out in the street, you could get hit by a bus. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't live your life that way. And it's ridiculous. And we need to, um, particularly in cases of sexual violence, we just need to stop this messing because, and we talked about it last week in terms of the fixed at Ireland and everything. And even I, I mentioned it there in some of my, my writing, we need to take the focus off what you could couldn't have should shouldn't have done because it is irrelevant the fact of the matter is i should be able to prance down grafton street at two in the morning in nothing but bikini and a smile and be fine yep you know nothing i wear nothing i do no, it doesn't matter what behaviors you engage in the very act of sexual violence means something is being done to you against your will. It is not possible for you to consent to it. So there is nothing you can do to bring it on yourself. Sorry, I get really angry about this topic. Just but, I hear it so as soon as you hear of an assault, oh, where was she? Where? What was she? Oh, she went back to his after Tinder date. Oh, like so what? And and then it's well, I'm just saying I wouldn't. And you're going, bully for you. And you know, there are certain things that well, look, I was in a relationship before Tinder, so you know, I, I can honestly say I've never had a dating app. I don't, you know, I, I I still don't know which way is is you like the person, which way is you don't, just why I don't know. But you know, personally, would I go go home with somebody I had just met? No, I wouldn't. That's my personal responsibility. But I don't actually give a monkeys if you should be able to do that and yeah. not be assaulted. Do you know what I mean? There is. It's this phrase. I'm about to go, it's framed as a joke, but it's actually it's quite accurate. That in, when it's the first thing that comes to your head. That's sorry. I'll stop interrupting. No, yeah, just, but by all means, <laughs> like don't, don't kill those thoughts that will keep them coming. But if we if we go back even, let's say, 20 years. Um, the idea of meeting people off the internet was still quite frightening, still like, oh, you don't know who they are. And yet getting drunk in a bar and going home with somebody was yeah. the norm. Mm. That's how you met people. Now, the joke being, now we can order people to our house like you order food. Mm. But I would argue a lot of the time, a lot of, not obviously not all, because it's very easy to abuse this, is it gives you slightly more of a screening. Mm. You know, you can, you can link to social media. Now, obviously, everything is curated. So 
But look at the Tinder swindler. If you haven't watched that documentary, you should. I haven't yet. I've, you're, you're, I think, the fourth person within 24 hours to say, I should watch this. Uh, and one person said, their dad walked in the room and says, What? The Tilda Swinton? What's this about? Uh, which I just thought was. I mean, wonderful. you should also watch anything with Tilda Swinton in it. I agree. I agree. Um, and Tilda Swinton uh, adjacent trailer for Doctor Strange 2 came out. Looks great. Did it? Yes. It. Yes, it looks very good. No, um, it's going to turn into to to a to a Marvel podcast. Yeah, no one ever actually saw the feminist babysitter became becoming a Marvel <laughs> MCU discussion podcast. People going, I'm very confused, but I'm never going to blame victims again. Hmm. Um, and if there was one victory that we could get from this episode, is if people went, oh, I'm never going to blame a victim again, because you, you phrased it perfectly. It's not possible to consent to sexual no. assault, mm. so there is no yeah. blame. There cannot be blame. No. Um, and and that goes as well for this this is something we have covered again if you are not actively saying yes we cannot assume consent no and that trips a lot of people up because sorry that's something also do you know the the reports that i mentioned last week the um the student survey and the staff survey on yes. the national survey on experience of sexual violence um one thing actually i think i have it marked just at the start because i casually have these on my desk because that's the kind of fun person i am absolutely um what would it said oh yeah about consent attitudes male students were most likely to agree that verbally asking for consent is awkward I would, anyway, obviously. And that goes back to the idea. Men are terrified of being laughed at. Women are terrified of being murdered. Do you know what I mean? You know, these two things do not equate, you know. No. Um, to, I'll spend, if you don't, I'm going to speak from personal experience for a second when it comes to consent. I, one of the work, one of the jobs that I do, obviously I work with OnlyFans. So I work with other performers and it is essential to me that if I do anything so much as turn left I go is this okay mm -hmm. are you okay with this is this something that you are consenting to to the point where and it has been it has been I have not found it awkward in any way because it has been almost funny to be like I'm, I'm good I'm good now I keep going to ask and we make a smile out of it and we understand each other and we are on level footing mm -hmm. I don't I think the the awkwardness of asking for consent, and I am I'm going to be very careful. I'm not saying that everyone who has found it awkward to ask for consent has then gone on to commit an act of sexual aggression. I am um, that is of course that is far too much for generalization. I think it removes uncertainty. It can increase enjoyment for both partners, mm -hmm. and. Sorry, excuse me, both or however many partners. However many, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, it might, it might, I would give you, it might be awkward the first time. Mm. I guarantee it won't be awkward the second time. And I mean the first instance. I mean, I'm in the yeah. same evening as opposed yeah. to. Um, so not that I, you know, not that I'm trying to use this, you know, to plug, you know, everyone go out and sign up to OnlyFans and meet loads of people and everything. If you want to do that, please, by all means, do just bear in mind how much more enjoyable and in the moment it is if everyone is enjoying themselves and they are in the moment. Mm -hmm. And if there's any uncertainty in that, any at all, 
that can throw off everything that is happening because the human body, and I, I'm not going to get too lost down this rabbit hole, but the human body is a machine with so many different parts and so many different reactions and um, sensations. And there is no person who will meet another person for the first time and know how their machine works. Mm-hmm. None. So at the very least, is this okay? Yes. Mm. Or no. And then we stop. Um, is a way of just everyone enjoying themselves a little bit more and learning. But even in terms of this kind of awkwardness, have you seen, I actually think it's quite a good ad. Have you seen the ad campaign? It's either the Road Safety Authority, whoever, for um, wearing seatbelts. And it's the gang of lads hop into the car and the driver turns around to ask your man in the back to put on a seatbelt. And then he's so nervous about it. It goes into a series of things where like you see him dressed as kind of a granny being like, oh, seatbelt. And they're all laughing at him. And then they're like in a boxing ring. Going, I'm not wearing my seatbelt, whatever. You know, it's 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 basically showing what goes through his head in that moment of asking your man to put the seatbelt on. And then the fact is, he actually says it to your man. He goes, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot. And pops it on and it's grand mm. for me that's actually a really good way of saying this is a it's it's a it's it's a very similar thing I, look it's very easy for me as not an undergraduate student and not in that age bracket and you know in a very different kind of relationship and you know all those kind of things it's very easy for me who knows myself to go but why is it awkward? Just stop mm. and think, why is it, you know, it's very easy for me to say that. But what I want you to think about, you know, if you're listening to this or you're having conversations with people or, or thinking about this is while, while you are absolutely legitimate in how you're feeling in your head, it is in your head. And once you say it, you can get it out of your head and you can start to relax and calm down. You know, it it is an awkwardness created in your head irrationally. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, we do. We and yeah. I appreciate it's difficult to overcome that, but trust me, you will. Just say it. It's in now. This is a very, very, very general statement that works for this as well. Is the hardest moment for anything is the moment before you do it. Mm. After that, it's just a case of ad- adaptation. Every so, morning, just before I get into the sea, I don't want to go. Uh, I, I find that decision process for me is very simple. Will I do this? No. You know, it's, it's very simple for me now. I then don't go to the sea and I don't jump in. And I'm, I'm very, very comfortable with my decision. You're probably a more intelligent person than I am, but that's okay. That is in, not in any way accurate. Dr. Carol Quigley, that is not in any way accurate. Um, but... Uh, it, it is. And this, I think this leads somewhat naturally into, again, educate your children. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I don't think I'm out of line saying educate your sons mm-hmm. because, you know, the vast, 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 vast majority of sexual aggression and sexual violence is carried out by uh, those who identify as male. That is not to say, of course, it is exclusive. It's very important that if you are someone who has experienced an act of sexual aggression or sexual violence 
committed by someone who identifies as female, that does not negate your experience. That does not make it any less valid. Um, so I suppose I, I just want to say that here as well, just be like, yes, I realize the, the lion's share of what we will discuss will be uh, people who identify as male mm-hmm. committing acts of sexual violence, particularly uh, in this room. But just to, to put that out there as well. But it comes back to, again, educate your children. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, there is, you can have a talk of consent. And this is something actually, I think, was it last week you brought up that fantastic story? Yeah. Uh, four-year-old? Yeah, it's younger. It's like three and yeah. a half, something like that. Yeah. And just, just understand consent from the mm-hmm. youngest age. And then it, hopefully, I don't, I can't tell the future, but hopefully it will make that conversation mm-hmm. when, when it obviously, when it is a case of a conversation, uh, make it an easier, easier experience for all around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but even bringing it, it back in terms of the actual victim blaming itself for a minute, like, I think part of the problem is that we don't see how, and I think this is, <laughs> I'm beating the same drum every, every week. We don't see how this issue or this behavior has permeated everything and everywhere. So be, between the, the media articles, mainstream media, no, I'm not anti-mainstream media um, at all, but the, the way we phrase things, you know, go and have a look at Fixed at Arlid, for example, and it'll show you the way we talked about Brock Turner, the way we used um, a nice photo of him instead of his mugshot, um, the way we talk about whether in this, you know, in these cases, um, a woman had been, had consumed alcohol or narcotics or whether, um, you know, they had, it was late at night, they had gone home with somebody um they were dressed in a particular way you know so we see that in the media right we then see it coming up in court cases where and i'm not sure if this law has now changed in ireland but it certainly was the case that you were permitted to ask about the defense could ask about your previous sexual history in cases of sexual violence yeah i know it's wonderful isn't it how does that have to do with like mm, hello i was right. sexually assaulted yeah but what about that time when yeah. you know you were 17 yeah. and Exactly. And that then links to that links to slush shaming, which, as I said, is, is separate, but tangential. Um, then we have, you know, um, talking about, you know, bringing up what you were wearing in particular. We like we like talking about that, what you were wearing. Um, so we see that happening in court cases. We then all over social media, we have commentary and that kind of thing. And, and essentially what happens is that as soon as you hear of one of these heinous acts, um it's almost automatic for you to just think where was she what was she Mm -hmm. doing what was she wearing and that's why um you know in in recent weeks after um the tragic murder of 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 ashley murphy i don't know if you saw there was the the video and the posts doing the rounds and it was like she was just going for a run Mm. um and i understand i really understand where the thought process for that came from that you know it was nearly the point of oh so now you're telling us we shouldn't even go for a bloody run in the middle of the day i get that but in some ways that is adding to victim blaming narrative because it actually wouldn't have mattered now i, I don't want to to, to to speak about her case specifically so it, it wouldn't matter if a random person was 
out in the middle of the night or, you know, intoxicated while running or whatever. None of that, nothing could have mattered. So actually, even though the good guys, for want of a better term, you know, were, were, were saying, were constructing a discourse around that, like she was just going for a run, that in and of itself comes from a place of victim blaming because we're so used to going well what could she have done to avoid whatever you know the harassment or you know like even like even I've had conversations with friends over the years say you know bit harassed or I say harassed or whatever as if it's no small thing but I suppose it's just so much part of our lives you know like harassed at a bus stop or whatever and it is a case of oh would you not have done this would you not have done would you not have run into the shop or would you not have whatever and I'm going like what were you supposed to like I remember and this is the first time I think I really remember was certainly feeling particularly fearful I was about 15 I'd say and I was walking up to the spire because I was meeting somebody at spire because that's where you meet if you lived in Dublin as a teenager and and when texts were expensive you just said I'll meet you there and there was none of this whatsapp and I'm on my way oh sugar we're showing our age again um <laughs> but I very clearly remember I was walking up the side of well it was Cleary's at the time on my left and Boyer's was on my right and Spire was right in front of me and I remember a group of guys probably a bit older than me as I said I was 15-ish at the time I think it was in fourth year um who approach me and I did the kind of like walking to kind of walk around and deliberately walked around me and kind of formed like a semicircle in front of me and um said you know like they just made not very nice comments which don't need to be repeated um I won't give them airtime and I kind of just head down kept walking and went through them um and I remember meeting the group I met and I was like this like this just this just happened you know what I mean and oh why didn't you run up to us and I get or why didn't you shout I I totally understand that that is coming from a place of all we want to do is make sure that you're out of this situation or I'm always here for you like why didn't you reach out to me I'm always here for you that kind of I, I really really appreciate that but that is victim blaming the very yeah. fact that the first response is, oh, why didn't you? Why didn't you? Mm. I had just gotten off the bus on the way, middle of the day, to meet my mates. I wasn't engaging, speaking with other people or doing anything else. I did nothing. I was made feel uncomfortable and unsafe in my own city. Um, but the only people at fault were those guys. Do you know what I mean? And that has happened to me so many times over the years where something, you'll get a fright or you'll be harassed or, you know, something. Oh, why didn't you? You should have called me or you should have. And I'm going, I just, I didn't want, you know. So even, as I said, the, the good guys, we all victim, like any time a friend or a relative or somebody in your life tells you about an experience, whatever the experience is, and you say, why didn't you? You're victim blaming. Even if you mean it in a, I would have helped kind of a way, you are victim blaming. So that's what I really want to get at is that even more so than, than slut shaming, absolutely everyone 
engages in victim blaming behaviors, even when we mean well. And we need to separate it from this personal responsibility, which is a thing, but you cannot you cannot be blamed in any way for unwanted behavior or actions that happen to you when you're not like it'd be different if i ran up to those lads and i started shouting at the verse do you know what i mean you could then you could argue like you know well what why did you antagonize or or, or something like that why why yeah, did you yeah, go yeah. and start something with a group you didn't know and exactly you know still exactly if anything were to happen absolutely it is the responsibility of the person who is committing the action yeah so in that case uh your responsibility would be would would have been why did you shout at a group of people you didn't know anyway never mind it what came after that why did you do that yeah Yeah, exactly but do you see how we actually engage in it all the time whenever we hear about these things even if we mean well there is there's an entire industry and this is going to seem kind of what there's an entire industry which relies on victim blaming to exist and that is new wave horror Mm. because when they don't just run up the stairs we we start to see them as oh they're you know taking action and they're pushing back against this idea because it was just the done thing you know Mm. As soon as X arrives, well, you're dead. Yeah, oh, what, and like, what are I you love doing in watching, there? Like, love watching a horror movie and you're picking out when the people are going to be killed because you're mm. like, you know, oh, you've just said you'll be back in five minutes. That's you done. That was that's your exactly. last line. And, and out of fact, like, you know, 25 years on, Scream is still probably a fantastic example of breaking that down. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, no, it's still guilty of it in its own way, but mm. it knows what it's doing at least um and it took the fact that we all know that if you go down an alley at a certain time or if you pick up the phone when you're on your own at home oh you shouldn't have done that which means we blame the casey beckers the sydney uh lost names now anyway the characters of films we blame them yeah because what we do now they are written in such a way that mm. it knows we're going to assign that to them in real life of mm. course these things are not written um yeah no and, like when you see them running past the front door to get up the stairs and you're like why mm. <laughs> just why Sc- scream does it in a, a semi it's a satirical yeah. then of course you've got the first scary movie one which you know mm. left this way to safety right this way to certain doom so which direction am i going certain doom obviously uh, yeah um, so it does it, you know. But yeah, also... you're right. It's written. It's written into everything that we do, you know. Um, and it's and again, it's it's incredibly depressing when you think of it. It and this is something. Hopefully, that the more we think about it, that depression side of it will go away. Of just how ingrained that is. You see yeah. someone go a certain way, and you're thinking, no, no, you just you signed your death warrant. Mm-hmm. So how much responsibility does that take off the person committing the act? Exactly. And that's what we like to do. We need to refocus the narrative around the perpetrators because at the end of the day, they are the only person or people who led to the result of active violence or whatever it is. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and that's you see, because because then people say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. What does it do? No, but we know that matters because there's a knock on effect of firstly, whether or not somebody is actually going to report something because they may feel, oh, actually, it is my fault for not doing this or for doing that or whatever. So there's no point in reporting. Mm -hmm. Then if something actually gets to court and we're asking questions, really inappropriate questions, then, you know, we're going to change things. Um, and then we've judges saying women and your binge drinking and all the rest of it. So there are real life consequences to incessant victim blaming. And actually, I just have a quote here um, from it's it's from Andrea Dworkin, Life and Death. Um, now, she could it's 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 quite a, a graphic description uh, description of, of violence here. But she's just she, she's just making a clear point about how we 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 don't get in a rage about this okay so she says on the same day the police who beat rodney g king were acquitted in sima valley a white husband who had raped beaten and tortured his wife also white was acquitted of marital rape in south carolina he had kept her tied to a bed for hours her mouth gagged with adhesive tape he videotaped a half hour of her ordeal during which he cut her breasts with a knife the jury which saw the videotape had eight women on it asked why they acquitted they said he needed help they looked right through the victim afraid to recognize any part of themselves shamed by her violation there were no riots afterwards okay so i appreciate that that was hard to hear but and actually i think probably we should do an episode on and i'll, I'll kind of discuss and dissect my theory on toxic femininity um, because that very much plays into it but the very fact that there is no in this case there is literally no argument against he did what he did he, he right. videotaped it you know what I mean um, there's no claim and consent in, in any way um, and the attitude was oh he just needed help she's there's something wrong with her she's after doing something so for me that's the victim blame by association thing as well that women don't want to see themselves in a position of vulnerability so they will think oh what did this other woman do or not do well she shouldn't have married him do you know what i mean mm. um and yeah but it, it it but i think the the interesting point that she's saying there was no riots afterwards do you know what i mean like we don't care to a certain extent about these things we, do, we don't you know i mean if you look at the the law in ireland so marital rape only became a crime now it was problematically written into the law because it was specifically done at this time to essentially marital rape could only be a husband assaulting his wife um yeah. i'm not sure if the language has since been changed but that was 1990 um and i think there's been one conviction maybe in 31 years something like that now don't quote me on that because i i can't remember offhand um but we we don't convict you know so um that's but, something but, just as i make a note i'm just making a note for myself here that i want to between this episode and the next i want to have a look and see what the number of actual convictions you know for rape in Ireland have been I'll, I'll, I'll take 1990 as like the start year mm. and because you mentioned there the fear of coming forward the fear of actually going 
I know this happened to me and I don't want to let somebody get away with this. And then the myriad of reasons why they get away with it. Yeah. So yeah. that's just. Okay. And we know that if you have a female heavy jury, you're less likely to get a conviction. Even though some people, they would hear that and they go, that doesn't make any sense. It actually makes perfect sense in the concept of, in the context of toxic femininity. Um, yeah, a female heavy jury, you're less likely to have a conviction for male on female sexual violence. I think that would be, I, I think it's come up enough times today that that should probably be our next episode, toxic femininity. If, sure. If that would be, yeah. That would definitely be a lecture. <laughs> now that is, that is why, because it's something that, it's something I don't know an awful lot about. Mm. Yeah, um, I kind of theorized it from a PhD. That yeah. was kind of so. So a big thing people may or may not know this: um, that for your undergrad and for your master's dissertation, um, obviously you have to adhere to academic standards and stuff like that. But you technically don't have to make an original contribution to the field, so you don't have an original argument, and that's actually what aside from lots and lots, tens of thousands of words, that's what differentiates a master's. Um, dissertation from a PhD um, part of what they're assessing when you you go through your your viva process is that you make an original contribution to the field um, it is something that hasn't been written before so a lot of my stuff on toxic femininity is kind of new and stuff so you won't really have heard about it um, you'll have heard about it in some ways and internalized misogyny and stuff like that but yeah I can theorize and, and dissect all of that for you well that would actually be fun. I think it would be obviously incredibly educational for myself and I think for our listeners as well um so with that i think that that probably brings us up to time on this week's episode what our, our 25 minute episode that they're supposed to be oh yeah yeah um <laughs> i do i do like though that i think on the very first day uh i think we were like yeah 25 minutes 25 minutes there was just a pause we looked at each other we grinned mm-hmm. and then we kept saying 25 minutes but yeah. we knew we knew well i mean considering we have an episode on one of the Purge films that's longer than the film. That is true, mm. which reminds me, we need to cover. Have you seen the Forever Purge yet? No, I still haven't seen it. I know, and we need to do some pop, pop culture podcasts to make us more fun. We, 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 we do, we do. So, look, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Great feedback. We're getting really good feedback, so thank yeah. you. And thank you for all the conversation. Even I'm having conversations in the corridor and work with people and stuff, and it's lovely. It's it's really, really nice, so thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. The, our our catalogue is there, so the previous four episodes uh, are available on Spotify. I am working on getting them available on other things as well. But, uh, uh, Carol, you have vastly exaggerated my technological skills. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah, but you, in, in comparison to me, I have not. <laughs> That's frightening. Uh, uh, for now, I'm though, a traditional academic. I turn it on and off and that's it. <laughs> and look, sure hasn't just got you a PhD. I so wrote not. my PhD with a quill. <laughs> <laughs> nice, with a candle. <laughs> um where can where can you be found online on instagram mostly and as i said send me cute dog videos i'm i'm into that at carol quigley there's an e at the end of carol because i'm cool like that lovely you can find myself i am at sean ferrick primarily on twitter you can uh find me on the various socials but that's where you'll probably get through to me fastest um we will be back next week with our episode on toxic femininity but for now thank you so much for listening to episode five of The Feminist Babysitter.
Thank you. Bye.